Welcome to CAA Live, the Council of American Ambassadors Foreign Affairs Podcast. My name is Keisha King, and I'm the Council's Communications Manager. This episode features a presentation by Kati Martin on Hungary and the threats to liberal democracy in Europe at the Council's Election Day luncheon on November 6, 2018. This session was moderated by CAA member Ambassador Donald Bliss. Enjoy. Well, good afternoon, everybody. Thank you for making it through the rain on Election Day. I hope you've all voted. Or if not, I hope you vote as soon as you can after the luncheon today. Um, yeah, vote. Um, our esteemed president has given me the honor of introducing our speaker today, and it's a daunting task. If I were to do justice to her biography, I would spend all the time, uh, and you wouldn't have any time for her remarks, and I'm sure that's really why you're, why you're here. You want to hear what she has to say. <laughs> but Kati Martin has had several intertwining careers as a best-selling novelist, human rights advocate, reporter, broadcaster, and civil society and United Nations executive. And through each of these vessels, she has passionately advocated for a free press in upholding human dignity and exposing the dangers of intolerance and demagoguery. No doubt her passion was instilled as a child when during the Hungarian Revolution, she saw her parents arrested and sentenced to long prison terms for the crime of being good reporters. Now you have your, her full biography before you, uh, but let me just cite a few examples. Uh, she was the uh, chair of the International Women's Health and Coalition, a global leader in promoting and protecting the health and human rights of women and girls. She was the United Nations Chief Advocate for Children in Armed Conflict. She is the director and formerly chair of the Committee to Protect Journalists. She serves on many boards of directors, including the International Rescue Committee, the New, York, the New America Foundation, and the Central European University and for 11 years, a director of Human Rights Watch. Since 1980, Ms. Martin has published nine books, fiction and nonfiction, several of which were New York Times bestsellers. She's reported for ABC News, the Public Broadcasting Services, and National Public Radio, and written just for just about any major periodical you can think of, from the New Yorker to the Sunday Times of London, where she was a columnist. The New York Times has called her most recent book, True Believer, Stalin's Last American Spy, published in 2016, as a, quote, a fascinating window on the delusion and narcissism of extremists, unquote. Her awards, recognitions, and honorary doctorates are too numerous to list. I mention only the George Foster Peabody Award for a documentary on China and the Greece-based uh, Curiosis Foundation Prize for the protection of press freedom. And I would be remiss, uh, given my own involvement in the United Nations Association, in not mentioning that she was awarded the United Nations Association's Leo Nevis Human Rights Award. And in accepting this award in 2011, she warned us that, quote, the new technologies are a powerful tool, and in the wrong hands, a dangerous one. The same dazzling technology is available to demagogues and extremists to spread their version of reality. Electronic narcissism is also an unappealing byproduct of the wired world, end quote. I thought that was very prophetic. In recent decades, uh, sovereign states and international organizations, including the United Nations, are held accountable by the powerful voices of a free press and the advocacy of civil society. Yet today, both face rising threats 
The brutal murder of Jamal Khashoggi has drawn global media attention, but unfortunately, it is emblematic of threats to journalism, freedom of the press, and civil society around the world. According to the United Nations in 2006 and 7, over 1,000 journalists were killed for simply bringing the news to the public. And in nine out of 10 cases, no one was brought to justice. As the US withdraws from the UN Human Rights Council and intent to withdraw from UNESCO next month, uh, which has made safety of journalism a priority, are we retreating from our historic support of human rights and press freedom? Perhaps our speaker will have something to say about that. Given her life experience and work, I can think of no one with more credibility and wisdom to address these rising global threats to democratic institutions and human dignity than our speaker today. Let's give a warm welcome for Kadi. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. I feel uh, very honored to be uh, your speaker today. I've never been in a room with so many ambassadors, particularly ambassadors who are interested in hearing from me. So um, it is an honor, and I thank you for it. And, uh, and Don, that was a, a, a wonderful introduction. I just wish it wouldn't have been so short. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, ladies and gentlemen, as, as well, it's election day, so this is an appropriate day for us to, uh, to gather and, uh, and to reflect a little bit about uh, the state of our, our beloved republic and the state of the world. And um, I, I um, can't think of a, of a better entry point uh, into that than um, than to tell you about an experience I just had in in the last uh, uh, couple of days um, in uh, in in our heartland in Dayton, Ohio. Um, Dayton, Ohio, uh, has turned itself into um, a peace town because that is where um, the the bloodiest conflict since World War II was ended in the Midwest, behind the barbed wire of Wright-Patterson Air Base, and I had the privilege uh, to be inside that barbed wire um, with, uh, with my husband, uh, the chief negotiator of the Dayton Accords, Richard Holbrook. And Richard, as, as some of you uh, kn knew him, and it's wonderful, to reconnect with, with you, Tom, whom we visited a couple of times in, in uh, Zimbabwe, um, and to meet my, my fellow Hungarian, Tim, um, a, 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 a Georgetown, a proud Georgetown graduate. Georgetown is in my DNA as well. My <clears throat> brother went there, my, my uh, father taught there, and, um, and Richard was um, graduation speaker at Georgetown and, and received a an honorary degree. So I digress. Uh, at this point, uh, my beloved Richard would say, Kati, get to the point. So, and, and I would say, Richard, it's not the destination, it's the journey. <laughs> so back to Dayton, where I had the, <laughs> 
I think it was Chairman Mao actually who said that. But anyway, um, <laughs> uh, so in Dayton, in in recent days, I uh, I participated in in what is what is now an annual event there, where where the Dayton Accords are memorialized as a uh, significant moment uh, for the town of Dayton, which hosted um, the the uh, the Balkan. Um, uh, warlords who just a week before they gathered in November 1995 in Dayton had been basically trying to wipe each other out. And I observed um, with, with great admiration how Richard was able to bring these, these uh, former warlords, and I would go so far as to call some of them war criminals, uh, because, as you know, 100,000 people perished completely unnecessarily in that nasty war in the heart of Europe. And um, uh, Richard brought them to heal and brought them to peace, and not a shot has been fired in anger since the Dayton Accords were signed. And this ladies and gentlemen, was for me as a, as, a, uh, as a Hungarian refugee, America at its finest. America standing not for its, its, its mighty military, but for its role as a mediator in a, in a uh, bloody conflict and demonstrating that we are able to do that. And you diplomats, all of you, um, can, can draw great uh, encouragement from the fact that this too is part of our proud history, our shared history. And, and, the, and the town of Dayton celebrates it every year. And they've named um, a literary Peace Prize, uh, the Holbrook Prize, and I, I uh, uh, give it, I present it every year. This year it went to, um, there were two, two uh, prizes, one uh, for fiction that went to John Irving, the wonderful author of The World According to Garp and The Widow for a Year and Cider House Rules, a, a very interesting uh, gentleman, I must say. And the other, the, the nonfiction went to uh, Tanahesi Coates, who seems to win every nonfiction prize these days. But at, at any rate, it gives the town a chance to bask in its history. And, I, uh, and I'm always taken around by the mayor uh, to, um, to the bridge that they've named the Holbrook Bridge, uh, which flies the, Balkan, the Bosnian flag alongside the American flag. It's, a, it's, it's very inspiring. And then we, we, we go to um, Wright-Patterson, where um, where the opening night of the peace talks um, were um, um, brilliantly, I think, stage managed by by Richard, who seated me between uh, Slobodan Milosevic, the Serb leader, and Alija Izbegovic, the the, the Bos Bosnian Muslim leader, who um, and Richard said, "Okay, Kati, your job tonight is to make them talk to each other." And these two guys, I got to tell you. Uh, for for uh, through the first and second and into the dessert course, we're looking off as, uh, in in different directions as if the other wasn't even there, and sweat was pouring down my face. This was my first diplomatic assignment, and I was failing miserably. And 
uh, we were relatively newlyweds and I was eager to demonstrate uh, that he'd made the right uh, choice in this Hungarian girl. Uh, <laughs> and uh, um, so uh, uh, in despair, I, I said to neither Izbegovic or Milosevic, but just sort of into the air, I said, how did this war start anyway? And at that point, they engaged and they started talking about the fact that neither one understood how, the, how this damn war started. And, and they kind of forgot about me sitting there. And, uh, and before too long, they were calling each other Slobodan and Alia. And I, my husband was sitting several tables away, and I went, and he went. <laughs> so I had passed my first diplomatic test, and three weeks later, the Dayton Accords were signed. And I'm not saying that it was that opening dinner that led to that, but we certainly um, were off to uh, to a, a pretty good start there. And it, and and it, it just uh, shows you that this country is capable of uh, of great diplomacy, and uh, and 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 you, ladies and gentlemen in this room, are uh, exemplars of that. And I know that. Um, that we're going through uh, difficult um, times in in uh, in the State Department, and indeed, in many quarters. Uh, but uh, but but you have uh, you have the support of so many of us in in your in your uh, craft, and I hope that um, that you that you don't retreat and withdraw, and and uh, just as just as I'm not, and I know that if Richard were alive he would, and you and I agree on this, he would be on fire and he would be speaking out and he would be standing up for American values. He was not a particularly political man. He believed he was, I, I, I was telling Tim that when we moved into the, uh, the Waldorf apartment when he became UN ambassador, uh, he said, let's invite as our first house guest George and Barbara Bush who had lived in the same apartment. And, and in those days, that was not considered a crazy thing to do because they, they were there the next week and we had a lovely dinner. We rounded up uh, Democrats and Republicans. And I, I remember uh, it was on the eve of the New Hampshire primary in which W was running against McCain. And just to kind of get the table talk going, slightly provocatively, I said to President Bush, so, Mr. President, what if, uh, what if your son doesn't do well tomorrow? I said with a bright smile. And this was so uh, enlightening for me. He said, without pausing for breath, he said, you know, Jeb would make a very fine president. <laughs> and for 10 minutes, Tim, for 10 minutes, not a single word defending W all about Jeb. It was so clear to me that Jeb was the chosen one and that we, the, we, the American public, was, was, we were about to live through a family psychodrama um, between, between these uh, two sons. Of course, uh, the next day, indeed, uh, W lost. Uh, McCain uh, won the New Hampshire primary, so it wasn't an idle question that, that I asked, but it was a very... Very interesting one. So um, Jeb had his shot. Uh, 
two years ago, and unfortunately, uh, unfortunately, he did not uh, uh, endure under the the onslaught of this gifted demagogue who is now our president. Speaking of gifted demagogues, um, skilled, I should say, demagogues. Um, my own homeland of Hungary is now in the grip of one, which uh, makes me extraordinarily uh, sad. Um, I, I um, had very high hopes for Hungary. Uh, Richard and I were married in Budapest at, at the American Embassy, um, which, which for me was, was kind of closing a circle because... Uh, in, in my early childhood, in the, in the uh, mid-50s, when my parents were the only uh, Western journalists covering that part of the world, my father was the Associated Press correspondent, my mother, United Press. Uh, some of you, I, I've brought a few books along to give you. I'm sorry I didn't bring enough, but I encourage you to click on Amazon, and <laughs> if any of this is of interest to you. Um, anyway, I... I um, uh, they they would uh, at a time when it was very dangerous to even be seen speaking to Americans. My parents spent a lot of time at the American embassy in the same embassy where where we had our 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 wedding, and they were they were regular guests of the American uh, ambassador of the day. And when the Russians came, uh, when when the Russian um, uh, uh, army uh, well along with help from the Warsaw Pact, came back into Hungary to snuff out the revolution. Um, and it was, my parents had just been freed after two years in jail uh, prior to the revolution. So we were again uh, in, in grave danger. And so we drove to the embassy and uh, the ambassador of the day said, um, we can't give you safe harbor here because we're, we're um, instructed by the secretary, John Foster Dulles, to, to, uh, to take in only Americans. And at that point, there, there were um, journalists from all over the world. This was the big story of the day. And, and American journalists were there in, en masse. And they raised such a fuss that this Hungarian family, I, I was yay high. You see me on the cover of the book there. Um, can somebody hold up enemies of the people? Um, and maybe we'll. Um, I, I think I brought. Oh, okay. So that's 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 my family. Yeah, that's that's me, the little kid in the front. Um, and, uh, and by the way, that that uh, picture was taken uh, the week before my parents' arrest. That was the last time we were uh, a family. Um, anyway, so the press raised such a ruckus. That that um, that the United States of the great nation would 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 turn away uh, this family who had sacrificed so much to keep the American people apprised of what was going on there had served uh, two years of of uh, jail time uh, to keep Americans informed and here they were throwing us back t to the wolves that that the ambassador. Uh, who was, like yourselves, not a Foreign Service officer, but a political um, appointee. I believe it was his first embassy. 
Um, he and I only know the, the details of this, and it's in the book because because I through uh, Freedom of Information Act I got all the cables, the cable traffic between Budapest, Embassy Budapest and and the State Department, and discovered that there was all this traffic back and forth, uh, Martons uh, uh, still in the, still at the gate, press making our lives miserable, uh, clamoring for. And back and forth, but we can't take them in. But, you know, if you uh, take in these four Hungarians, others will follow, blah, blah, blah. Until finally, um, Dulles or whoever the, uh, the, the uh, standing in um, for him that day was, said, and this, is the, and this is the phrase that changed my life, uh, leave it up to you. Leaving it up to the ambassador meant the gates to freedom were open to us, and we were the only Hungarians other than Cardinal Mincenti, who might be known to some of you, uh, with whom we shared space on the, uh, on the rug where we slept in the basement of the embassy, and who every night gave uh, said mass to my mother and sister and me uh, as we represented the, the, the uh, mothers and children of Hungary. And, uh, and that was the beginning of, of, uh, of my American journey. Now, after that, um, we, um, when, once, once the revolution was fully extinguished, it was a very sad time. Obviously, we couldn't stay at the embassy, the four of us. Uh, Mincenti did for 15 years, and it, and it became a real diplomatic um, struggle because the you know Washington could not uh, um, you know ease up tensions with Hungary while Mincenti was sitting there, so it became a, a thing. <laughs> but at any rate, and, and he occupied the ambassador's office, the best uh, you know with the view of <laughs> Freedom Square, etc. Anyway, um, so we went back. We went back to our home, very very sad, and you know thinking that my parents uh, would probably again be arrested. And indeed, we got word for this time with much better reason than the, the, the first phony arrest, where, whereby they were, they were uh, accused of being CIA agents, which was, uh, and, and by the way, called enemies of the people. So Trump did not invent that. Stalin did. But on every single document that I, that I uh, accessed in the Hungarian secret police archives on which my book is, is built, they are referred to as enemies of the people. Um, but this time, uh, in the year following the revolution, my parents were guilty as sin. My mother had helped organize a general strike, which followed uh, the, the Soviet occupation, and um, and my father was in and out of the embassy, um, basically dictating the daily cables to Washington about what was going on. So, so once again, the United States rescued us. Uh, a brave American diplomat named Tom Rogers um, smuggled us out of the country in his car. We were we were two little kids and two parents and. Um, and when we crossed the Austro-Hungarian frontier, uh, Uncle Tom, as I called him, still alive, I still call him Uncle Tom, um, uh, took out a bottle. We were on the Austrian side of the frontier. He took out a bottle of brandy and, and, uh, and three glasses. The kids weren't given any. Um, uh, and and uh, still, still within 
sight of the watchtowers and the newly restored, restored barbed wire. Um, uh, toasted our freedom, and my father at that point said that he he was done. He was done with Hungary. And um, many, many years later, my sister and I dragged him back, really literally kicking and screaming for his 80th birthday, and we had a blast. We had, uh, and the Hungarian president of the day came to greet us at the airport, and it was a healing experience for my father. But now again, um, I am... Um, virtually an enemy of, of the state of Hungary because Viktor Orban um, is anti, anti all the things that Richard and I stand for, and I continue to stand for, press freedom, um, America as a, uh, a force for democracy as opposed to um, a force for um, selling arms to uh, the assassins of journalists, referring as you did to the Khashoggi case, which is, uh, which uh, it takes up a lot of my time these days as a member of the Committee to Protect Journalists, as you can imagine. And, um, and, and um, now I am a uh, trustee of Central European University, which is a, as, as, as you may know, it's the um, very distinguished, very successful, very international university set up uh, with, uh, um, with George Soros's funding. Um, 25 years ago, a flourishing institute with students from 120 countries in Budapest, which has now been evicted by Orban for the same reason that my parents were jailed, <laughs> telling the truth, teaching the truth, encouraging critical thinking, and, um, and not you know, swallowing the bait of uh, populism, xenophobia, and, um, and, and the, the kind of nationalism which is deep in Hungarian DNA and which has again surfaced. Uh, so we are, we are, uh, we just had our board meeting, the Central European University board meeting, and as my father once upon a time said, I'm done with Hungary, George Soros made a similar statement, I'm done. George Soros who has, who, who was one of the first to really plant the seeds of, uh, of civil society in communist Hungary and you know, started off by, by distributing uh, Xerox machines in the, in, the, in the 70s and 80s and, and then built on that. And he is now, he is now the all-purpose scapegoat for everything that ails Hungary. And, uh, and, and that has been picked up by, uh, by the other um, neighboring countries, unfortunately, uh, with, uh, with Chancellor Merkel, the subject of my new book, which I'm working on when I'm not speaking to distinguished ambassadors. Um, uh, so Chancellor Merkel has, has been chosen as, as Orban's, uh, uh, or Orban's uh, well, he calls her a moral imperialist, uh, meaning she stands for things that, that, uh, that Hungary for for a while stood for, but doesn't any longer. So uh, so we are we have been forced to to give up our beautiful Budapest campus, and we're moving to Vienna. Vienna is thrilled to have us, a fine university. But Vienna does not need another fine university. Budapest did, and uh, it's kind of heartbreaking uh, for me as a Hungarian who had. Such high hopes as I as I for for Hungary as as being on the forefront 
of the democratization of the former occupied uh, territories of, uh, during the Soviet empire. Um, uh, Richard and I were married in that embassy, as I said, and, uh, and, and in, in his uh, wedding toast, because with Richard, work and, and pleasure were always intertwined, in his, in his wedding toast, in the presence of the entire Hungarian uh, cabinet, including the president of the, of the day, who, who actually gave me away, because my parents were unable to be there. Um, Richard said that this represents not only Kati's homecoming, this wedding also represents the return of Hungary to the European family of democracies where she belongs. And uh, I think Richard Holbrook would be horrified by, by the Hungary that is, that is now um, slowly uh, reverting to, uh, to its, uh, its, its worst days. Um, it's, I, I'm, I, unlike my father and George Soros, I hope to live to, uh, to see better days there. And um, my children have come to love uh, Hungary and, and I, I'm, uh, I'm not giving up because, because one can't, but we are, don't, don't let's kid ourselves. We're going through um, uh, a dark time here and in Europe and well, Everywhere, it's one. It's one of those hinge moments that we do not wish to uh, uh, turn a blind eye to. And sure, hope you all voted. <laughs> and uh, I, I, when I when when we wrap up here, I'm I'm uh, I'm off to my voting place. But anyway, I it, um, I'm I'm to me the most interesting part of 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 these sort of sessions is is when I hear. Uh, your questions and you're a, you're a, a wonderful group and and uh, once again I'm I'm deeply deeply honored to have been invited to speak to you and thank you for uh, listening to me and now I'd love to hear your questions. So having addressed yourself to the Orban government. Um, uh, I, I've been curious to learn uh, that through some articles that have appeared uh, yeah. uh, in uh, the one I'm thinking particularly of, I believe, appeared in either the New York Times or Washington Post. Yesterday um, there was a big one in the Times. Yeah. About the closeness of Orban to Putin. Right. Uh, that, uh, that, that, I mean, of course, mm -hmm. even allowing for some journalistic bias here. Uh, the notion that Orban has kind of adopted a sort of uh, guided democracy that well, the, he he, he calls it he's he's named it illiberal liberalism, yes. which is a total contradiction in terms, and uh, is willing to enter into deals with. Putin like for the construction of a new nuclear reactor in Western Hungary mm -hmm. that arguably isn't re doesn't really have a market but certainly is a big jobs provider and a right. vanity project and things of that sort and to kind of enmesh Hungary a NATO ally in yes. an ever deepening relationship with Russia uh, 
Is this a strategy, do you think, that Orban held from the beginning, or an expedient that he's come to as he's become more isolated in mm, the West? Good question. Or mm. just a, or, or an example of mm. Putin's opportunism, uh, seeing an opening and moving mm. into it? So, uh, excellent, excellent question, Phil. Um, uh, I have known uh, Viktor Orban since 1989, when he sprung on the on the world stage uh, as as the young hero and representing the the future, and uh, very bright and and uh, Oxford educated, thanks to a scholarship from guess who George Soros, the man he's now um, uh, using as his as his. Uh, scapegoat. Um, and by the way, I, I, I'm, I'm coming right back to your question, but I just want to tell you, if, if you haven't been in Hungary for a while, um, last year, um, you could not go a block in Budapest without encountering giant billboards with George Soros's smiling face with, with, with the, in big letters, don't let him have the last laugh. So George Soros literally elected <laughs> Viktor Orban. This was in the, I mean, and this is the, the man who gave him a scholarship to study at Oxford. I mean, history is full of ironies. Um, so in all the years that, that, uh, that I've known Orban, um, and Richard and I would always, when, when we went, traveled to Budapest, particularly when Richard was assistant secretary for, for Europe, um, uh, Orban always took us out to dinner, took us to the opera. I got to tell you, never once did I ever hear Orban speak about any kind of a program. It was always about how he was going to uh, win the election and hold on to power. So is he an opportunist? A hundred percent. This is not a man with any ideology uh, beyond his own uh, self uh, uh, propagation, um, which which is not unfamiliar. I don't think that Milosevic had a had an uh, an ideological bent either. These are opportunists. That is, is Trump really a Republican? He's certainly not a conservative. He's an opportunist. He 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 is very canny about gauging what works, and and you know had a lot of practice as the as a host of The Apprentice, gauging audiences, and he's quite brilliant at that. And in his way, uh, so is uh, so is Orban. It's he's not elected by a majority. Does that sound familiar? Um, and uh, and 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 he's he's maneuvered um, brilliantly. And he, he he doesn't ever plan on giving up power because partly because because he and his uh, circle, starting with his family, are, are so, have so deeply looted the country, like like Mugabe. Um, in Zimbabwe, that they can't afford to ever leave because the next guy would for sure, th you know, bring bring um, uh, charges against him, and and he'd likely not land in a happy place. So it is in his interest to stay in power, and he will do pretty much anything and make deals with the devil uh, to uh, to sustain himself and his family. It's a family affair. These things generally are, as, as with Mugabe. Uh, Mrs. Mugabe is as much, right? Right, right, right. Uh, so we see these are, you know, I, I, I keep thinking of the Sopranos. Um, these are, you know, these are Tony Soprano and, and all, of, all, all the uh, oligarchs uh, that would, you know, be it 
uh, be it Putin, be it be it uh, Trump, be it Orban, uh, Duterte, um, you know, all our best friends. Um, any other questions? <laughs> yeah. Yes, Stuart. Stuart. One of your books is about Wallenberg. Mm. Uh, what brought you, what made you write about him? Oh. That's a phenomenal story. What yes. was, what can you tell yeah. us that we have, oh. don't know? <laughs> Thank you. Uh, well, yes, uh, that, that book changed my life. I was on maternity leave from ABC News. I was a uh, uh, foreign correspondent, um, had just had my first child. And I, uh, we were living in London. I was married to Peter Jennings, the father of my children. I pick up a London newspaper, and there's a one-paragraph blurb that uh, that cites uh, that uh, the only missing uh, POW from World War II was spotted in an uh, exercise yard in the Gulag Archipelago, and that he it had to be Raoul Wallenberg, the missing hero of Budapest. And really, it was a light bulb went off, and and uh, I uh, I'd never heard that name, but Budapest meant a lot to me in my childhood home. I called my father, who was a uh, AP uh, diplomatic correspondent living in Washington in those days. This was the mid '80s, and and I said, "Tell me everything you know about Wallenberg." And uh, he gave me some names of people who had been associated with Wallenberg while Wallenberg was doing his life-saving work in Budapest, which I, I'm not sure everybody's familiar with the story, but he was responsible for saving thousands of Jews from the, uh, the Hungarian Jews were the last intact Jewish community in Europe and, and uh, FDR in a kind of 11th hour attempt to shore up his rather sorry record of non-rescue of Jews sent Wallenberg uh, to Budapest with uh, uh, pretty much unlimited um, uh, funds to rescue whoever was left to rescue. And I, uh, I, I worked like a demon um, and, in, and um, first wrote a, wrote a, um, a cover story for Atlantic um, on Wallenberg and then uh, got a call from Random House I'd never written anything, but uh, I was an NPR. My first job was as an NPR diplomatic correspondent while I was still at GW. And then, and then, uh, and then uh, um, local TV in, in Philadelphia and then network as bureau chief in Germany in the 70s and 80s. At any rate, so I, I, I didn't have any experience writing long form. So when I got the call from the head of Random House asking how fast could you turn this article into a book, and this was, uh, I remember vividly, as it was Memorial Weekend. And I said, by Labor Day? And he said, fine, contract on the way. And, uh, uh, you know, when I tell that story to fellow authors, they'll go, oh, are you out of your mind? You, you, first of all, you make the rest of us look horrible, because writers generally take years. I now take years. And uh, I handed over uh, my new baby to, to Peter. And, and said, I got to get going on this, and started traveling, finding, uh, w you know, still, still surviving witnesses, of which there were many back then. And thank God that I wrote it then and not now. And, uh, and, and writing that book um, changed my, my, my life's professional trajectory. Is that the book uh, they made the movie from? Yes, yes. It's not a great movie. Mm, yeah. Yeah. 
And I, did, I never went back to, to the news business. That was, that was nine books ago. And also, in the course of an interview with somebody saved by Wallenberg, I discovered that, that my own grandparents uh, had been, uh, had, I, I was raised as a Roman Catholic, very, very religiously so. And I discovered that my grandparents uh, were in the first transport to Auschwitz from Hungary. Through that. Yes, please. Uh, Another two. Oh. Yes. Congressional relations. Yes. And I was assigned, I was in charge of Europe for H, congressional relations. And I was up on the Hill every day for yeah. three years with congressmen, senators, and staff. Yes. Some say that's how I got an embassy, but I won't address that one. I'm happy you did. Thank you. Uh, one of my favorite interlocutors was Tom Lantos. Oh, of course, yes. His wonderful wife. Annette, yeah. And their dog that was always in the office there. <laughs> I like yeah. dogs. Uh, and Tom was promoting the concept of Raoul yes. Wallenberg, a great mm -hmm. hero of humanity, to be an honorary American citizen right. and put a statue of him up somewhere. All the wasps, there are no wasps here, are there? Um, had Winston Churchill there between yes. the British Embassy and the Bolivian Embassy. And they said, you know, Winston Churchill's enough. And Not for time. Lantos mm -hmm. and the team pushed and pushed. And I'm the guy, the working guy that had to go to uh, my assistant secretary, wonderful lady, I forgot her name, <laughs> and up the thing and peddle Raul, uh, Tom Lantos' yes. position. And he won. Yep. And I won. And yes. there's a statue in Washington, and he's an honorary American citizen, Indeed. like Winston Spencer Churchill. And, and I had a lot of fun yeah. playing with that one. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you for doing that. Yeah, there's a, there's a great statue of him in front of the UN, too. Yes, Tom. Patsy, it's great to see you. Thank you. Um, you know, lots of, lots of great memories from uh, the visits to uh, Zimbabwe, and, and for those um, who haven't uh, heard or dealt with Kati before. Um, I remember uh, the reports back from my PAO and others, Kati's mission, I think maybe Richard even put it in a, in a cable, you know, uh, before coming out as to his requirements or whatever. Uh, you know, he, as you know, very direct, right? Mm -hmm. So, so um, you did a masterful job uh, talking and uh, motivating and helping with the morale of the independent press mm -hmm. in Zimbabwe. And you spent Thank some you. time, as you recall, in Harare. This would have been 1999 mm -hmm. with the press that was very much under fire. Yes. And so I would say uh, Mugabe learned the art of sort of killing in onesie twosies mm -hmm. and, and lots of torturing. And journalists were tortured during the time I was there, and we spoke out very forcefully. And I know your husband talked, but mm. uh, any event, I I wanted you to know that, um, and maybe it, you never got a readout later that that uh, press people, indigenous press people, who weren't paid very much, right, mm -hmm. and didn't have the protection of the Guardian or the New York Times or whatever, and were out there, um, were quite heartened by, oh, by your words. That's so nice to hear. You, sure. Because, yeah, yeah. you know, it, you. Uh, yeah. being a journalist and a uh, 
it was a dictatorship, I mean, essentially. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and so, so then let's fast forward to the present. Mm -hmm. And when Mr. Trump talks about en enemies of the people in the media so blatantly, and, you know, we've seen, uh, what was it, the Tribune, the threats, and, of course, yeah. uh, all, all, the, all the things going on. I mean, you know, obviously, you know, we want the press to, they have bucked up and mm -hmm. this too shall pass. But what, what is your take, I mean, as a, as a skilled journalist, you know, well-known author, and I didn't, I didn't even realize until I knew you had, published several books, didn't know it was nine until we <laughs> saw each other again today, which is a remarkable. Um, but what's your message to them? And yeah. what, where, where do you, you know, we'll see what happens with the election today. But yeah, th this is, um, you know, a, 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 a very difficult period and freedom of the press is so critical is, to, the, to the basis of the United States. Yes. And, and let me just say that, that um, uh, in countries where, where, the, where the press is muzzled, uh, such as in Hungary, such as in Turkey, uh, Erdogan has now pulled off the, something quite magical, and that is he's turned himself into a defender of free press. But uh, actually, he's until now he's been uh, number one jailer of, of journalists. But at any rate, they always these these guys always start with muzzling the press because you can't uh, you can't get anywhere if you have a free press. And uh, so what? So Trump is playing a dangerous game. And particularly when he encourages his uh, his extremely worked up, riled up uh, uh, supporters to um, and and then points to the press uh, in their cages uh, as go get them and you know punch them and deck them and you know admires uh, that congressman who. Uh, who slugged the, who, who body slammed the journalist. I mean, we've not seen the likes of this in this country. We've seen it in, in, uh, in banana republics, but uh, um, calling the press uh, enemies of the people is a dangerous road for us to go down. And, and uh, let's not make that the press's problem. Let's make that democracy's problem. Thank you for raising that. Thank you. Uh, yes, one last question. Yes, uh, but before, let me just say that your remarks have really made me uh, remember some memories in my head that goes way back. We happened to be in Paris just after the Berlin Wall went down. Oh. And one of our closest friends was a Bulgarian. And I remember having dinner with him, and he said, you know, we're desperately trying to raise money to help with the first free elections we've had in 40 years. We said, well, how much money are you looking for? thinking of foundations back in the US. He said, we need enough money to buy some Xerox machines. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We said, we'll do it. We bought Xerox machines for Bulgaria. Good for you. Thank you. <laughs> but what I wanted to ask you was to follow up on Philip Hughes's question. Um, Philip asked about Orban's relationship with Russia. Mm -hmm. I'm interested in what's going to happen with Hungary and I think Poland with the EU. Because, mm -hmm. of course, the EU requires unanimity in many of That's its decisions, it. and if you need only one or two countries, and you don't get that. Yes. So and where do you think that's headed? Well, it's a real dilemma because, uh, as I was saying to Tim, the EU was meant to be a gentleman's club and with, you know, well-behaved members. And nobody, uh, when, when and, and my husband worked very hard to get these countries into 
the EU um, when he was assistant secretary. And, you know, he was considered a hero in Hungary for helping Hungary into, into the EU um, and NATO before that. Um, and nobody calculated that these countries would revert to their, to their very worst uh, instincts, um, and that the United States, the sheriff, if you will, would be absent. And uh, there's nobody now who is backing up uh, Merkel and Macron um, as we used to do in the, in the transatlantic relationship that sustained the peace and the prosperity uh, for the last 70 years and which is now absolutely on the line. And uh, so, of course, of course, uh, uh, Poland and Hungary, Orban and Kaczynski, are, are covering for each other, knowing full well that uh, that there is this unanimity. But but I think it's um, you know just a uh, just a, a quick anecdote because this is so interesting. This week, the Hungarian State Opera is at Lincoln Center. Yeah, and and with full uh, subsidy from the Orban government, and it's a real propaganda. Coup, and I don't know if you saw the New York Times piece yesterday, in which, in which the uh, Hungarian ambassador to the UN thanked the Orban at, at the uh, premiere uh, of the of the of, of the first opera they showed a couple of days ago, and, and you know said you know that without uh, the support of Orban, nothing happens, which was kind of a uh, well, yeah, <laughs> but it was it was not a very smart thing for her to have said that we're here because it's. But the same week at uh, at another theater in Lincoln Center, um, the. Uh, uh, formerly uh, Avery Fisher Hall, now Geffen Hall, the, so the concert hall, uh, is another Hungarian uh, 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 very fine cultural institution called the Budapest Festival Orchestra under the baton of uh, maestro Ivan Fisher. If any of you get a chance, uh, he's, he's there for four nights. Uh, he, not only is he a fantastic musician, but... He is also a, um, a, a deeply committed Orban foe who has now moved from Budapest to Berlin because, because Orban is, is uh, you know, making it impossible for, for people of, of his uh, liberal outlook to, to thrive. And so you, have, um, so you have these two institutions, one, both of them representing, you know, great Hungarian culture, but one with lavish government support and the other with zero government support. I'm I'm a supporter of the Budapest Festival <laughs> Orchestra, needless to say, and and actually I'm hosting a party for for Maestro Fisher on on Thursday night. If any of you want to drop by, <laughs> anyway, thank you very much. That was Katy Martin at the Council of American Ambassadors Election Day luncheon. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe to CAA Live on iTunes or Google Play and leave us a review. Tweet us your thoughts on this episode and tag us at AMER Ambassadors with the hashtag CAA Live.